I just love this thoughts to think about. So like uh, a, a pastor said this. He said, love doesn't demand a change. It produces a change. So we're so busy uh, trying to produce a change in somebody, right? So let's look to the person next to us. Look to the child next to you and say, I demand you to change. <laughs> so kids, you guys can go to Sunday school and be changed. <laughs> No, it's true, right? I mean, uh, my wife and I are getting ready to celebrate 16 years of marriage, actually, next month. So it's it's funny because, you know, one of the best words of advice, you know, being married, they always says, like, don't try to change your spouse, right? So I remind my wife of that all the time. Don't try to change me, but I expect you to change. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, because, right, we can't, uh, I mean, she can't change me and I can't change her. But if we are loving each other, right, like all of a sudden great changes happen. And we've seen that maybe not in our relationships, or maybe you have, but we have definitely seen it with God, haven't we? I mean, we said this on Thursday. I mean, I got a little upset, you know, in the message, a little bit. Not, I wasn't yelling or anything. But, I mean, just this idea of pride and self-righteousness. I mean, if there's anything that is further from the gospel, it is pride and is self-righteousness. And I don't want you to ever think, I mean, you know, I applaud you guys for coming to church and thank you for coming here, right? But never let that thought of coming to church and what you do for God ever hinder you from actually walking with God. Because that will build so much pride in, and actually that pride, even though you are doing so much for God, it will drive a wedge between you and God. And you'll find yourself further and further away. But when we're humbled and we come before God, what happens? God changes us. (laughs) It's amazing. I love it. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So Pastor Jason was going to be here, so he was going to do an intro. So, sorry. Sorry, Gary. A good announcement. I mean, you're right, but he was wrong. No. <laughs> and it's raining. You should, you know, you should be here anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Dark humor. I like it. <laughs> we get used to it eventually. <laughs> Luke chapter nine. This is an amazing passage, and what we're going to do is we're going to read like a little block of verses, and jump over a block, then read another block. Uh, you'll, you'll kind of see the, the, the train of thought here. But I really want to think about the idea that we serve a living God. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I love it. Our God is alive. We woke up this morning and we realized, you know what? It's like, how many of you woke up this morning excited? Oh, you guys are awesome. Not me. <laughs> Ryan and I woke up this morning like, oh, oh. you know, a little grunting and groaning. You know, it was hot yesterday. You know, you worked worked hard, right, Calvin? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, we can wake up and we cannot be in the right mood. But you know what? God is alive and he is living, which means two things. I mean, we're going to get into this, but he is a living God, which means that he affects my life today. Not only is he alive in, in, in respect to like all these false gods who are dead and have no authority and no power in our life. Yet somehow they do, don't they? The false gods of this world, somehow they have authority over me. But they're not alive. 
but God is alive. So let's look at Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 7 through 9. Now Herod heard all that was done by Jesus, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. Isn't that funny? And that by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. You know, this very simple thought here right in the beginning is, and we're going to see it here in verses 18 through, through some other verses. Actually, let's jump to verse 18. And it said it happened as he was uh, alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say that I am? This is amazing thoughts, and I really love this idea. Uh, and Herod is questioning who is Jesus Christ. Uh, and Jesus brings up the same question as who are others saying that I am? And Jesus is asked this question. I don't really think he's concerned about who the world thinks he is. You know, I, I mean, do you think Jesus was concerned about that? No, I don't either. I mean, that's a good thought, actually, right there. As believers and followers of Christ, are we concerned about what the world thinks about Christ? No. No, I mean, well, maybe we are, but maybe we shouldn't be, right? In this day and age where, uh, like, it is so opposing, the, 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 the sides are so opposing. I mean, in one way, I care because I want to reach the lost, right? Uh, so in one way I care, but in another way, if they say these things about Jesus, I'm not going to back down or shut up because really Christ, and as we're going to see here, Christ is living. He is the living God. And it doesn't affect me who they say Christ is. It doesn't affect my walk with God. It only affects their walk with God. You know, so here is Herod, and he is like kind of seeing all the amazing things that Jesus is doing, and he's hearing some of the amazing words that Christ is saying. And I love that word that he is perplexed. <laughs> he is perplexed. He doesn't understand what is going on because he has been ruling in Jerusalem. He has seen the authority of the Pharisees. He has seen the authority of the Romans. And here is a simple man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he has seen nothing like this. I mean, he is a ruler, right? He knows what it means to be in a room full of important people. And he's not easily perplexed. He's not easily baffled by that kind of authority. But here he is. He is perplexed. And I love what Jesus is asking. And I was thinking about it this way. You know. Yeah, I mean, I just want to read this. This is what I wrote down. It says, even amongst believers, we have a tendency to define God. You know, how do we define God? How do we define him? And we define him in a certain way, and we can also define him in the wrong way, can't we? Because there can be believers that do not define God the right way. And how do we often define who God is, but we define him by his actions, right? So, I mean, it is interesting. One of the songs that Ben sang is, you know, you perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways, but don't we often, as believers, we define the goodness of God or the living God by the things that He does? 
So we can say sometimes in hindsight, God, you were perfect. But in the midst of the storm, when God is doing something, are we able to say, God, you were perfect in everything that you're doing? I mean, and oftentimes we can't. And sometimes when we do, we say it by faith when we really don't even believe it, but we're saying it by faith. But it's interesting, how does the world define Christ? And how are we as believers defining God? And are we defining him the right way? I want to turn to some verses just to kind of look through the Bible and, and to see how people were calling Jesus, what they were calling him. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 24 Jesus is being accused of casting out a demon through the power of a demon. The Beelzebub, right? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> the only reason why you can cast out a demon is because you yourself, I mean, Mark 3, 22, it says it this way. It says, the only reason why that you can cast out a demon is because you yourself are possessed by a demon. Oh, really? <laughs> is that what the world thinks when they are... Face to face with a living God. I mean, we heard this morning, didn't we, in Baltimore? That when the world looks at God, they don't see what we see. And why does that bother me? It shouldn't. It shouldn't bother me when the world looks at God and they see a demon. It's okay that they see something strange. It's okay that they look at me and say that I'm strange. Because they're not seeing through the eyes that they were really supposed to see. They're not seeing through the eyes of God. They're not seeing truth. They are being blinded by Satan. And here in Luke, we see that he, they think that he is one of the prophets. They think that he is, the, the, that he is, that he is John the Baptist. And it's interesting, Mark chapter 1, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 34. This is interesting. It says that the demons knew that Jesus was the Holy One. Jesus is getting ready to cast out a demon. And the demon says, what are you, Jesus of Nazareth, talking about his humanity, and then defines him as the Holy One. That is amazing. That is really, really amazing. You know, this word here, the, you know, I'm just reading off some verses in Mark 1, 34, says that the demons knew him. My point of mentioning all these verses is that as we look through the Bible, what do we see? We see that everybody has a different view of who Christ is. Everybody does. Herod, the Pharisees think that he is demon-possessed. Herod thinks he's a great, uh, maybe a good leader or teacher. Uh, you know, the you know, followers thought that he is a, a miracle worker and a great teacher. Because here in Luke chapter 9, they're getting ready to, li they listened to him preach and do a miracle. They think he's a great teacher. You know, the demons know who he is. And it is so amazing because this word know meaning, means that they actually have an awareness of who God is. They have an awareness that Jesus is the Son of God. They have an awareness that Jesus is God. They have an awareness of this. But it's interesting because that word means that they are aware of it, but there is no relationship with Jesus. So get this. They understand who Jesus is, yet that knowledge has no authority in their daily life. They are still enemies with God. So do you think today, like, you know, in our world, anything has changed? I mean, here is Jesus is alive 2,000 years ago and all these things are happening. Do you think anything has changed? No, I don't think anything has changed. I mean, we turn on the news and we are 
we are disgusted, right? I mean, it is bad, it is bad and I understand that. But do you know what? This is the world. <laughs> it's always been bad. Have you, have you ever done any research on the Roman Empire? I mean, it was bad. It was disgusting. It was gross. We're not living in anything new. And the way they look at God is the same way that they looked at God, Jesus back then. They look at us the same way. And they say that actually maybe some know him, but they don't really know him. They don't have a relationship with him. Well, maybe some people say, well, he's a good teacher. I mean, we hear this in the streets, don't we, Gary? He's a good teacher. He's a prophet. Uh, he was a holy man. But very few people really know who Jesus is. And here we are as believers, I mean, you know, and that is our task, actually, in one sense, right? And I love it uh, in Hosea. Hosea says that I, you know, referring to God, God has said, I have drawn you with cords of love, of everlasting love, not with the cords as man draws, okay? God is drawing us to himself, and he is drawing himself to, you know, us to himself, so that way we might know him, not be aware of God. I mean, we should be aware of God. I mean, in worship today, were you aware that God was here? How many times have we been in a worship service or in a message and we were not aware of God? I mean, all of us should raise our hand because I've been in church services and it has nothing to do with the preacher. It has nothing to do with the message. It has everything to do with me just for not being aware that God was there. And that's what happened with Jacob, right? The angels were descending, ascending and descending, going up and down. And he says, God was here and I didn't even know it. God was here and I didn't know it. It is amazing. But in this passage that we're going to read here in Luke chapter 9, we don't, we, we see that Peter comes to the conclusion, not that Jesus was amazing because he's possessed by a demon. That's not why he's so amazing. <laughs> he wasn't so amazing because he was a good prophet or a teacher. Peter wasn't only aware of God, of Jesus' divinity, but look at, look at Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. And it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him and asked him, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So he answered and said to him, Some say that John the Baptist, kind of echoing what Herod has said, some said Elijah, and others said some of the old prophets had risen again. Verse 20. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's interesting. You know, Jesus in one way is dealing with a crowd, but now he is alone with his disciples, and he's getting to the real heart of the matter. I mean, we could say the same thing, like, you know, I could be talking to the church here, right? Like, who do people outside say that Jesus is? But do you know what? I want to get to the real heart of the matter. Who do you say that Christ is? Who do you say that Christ is? How do you define God? How do you define God in your personal walk with him? Meaning, because that definition of who God is in your life will determine where you're going to be with God. Not eternally. Like, if you're saved, you're going to be in heaven. But in your daily walk with God, how you define him 
is going to be determine how you're going to be with him. You know, we read the Bible and we read all these amazing stories of Moses, Abraham, you know, Sarah, you know, uh, Deborah, all these amazing different prophets and prophetesses. You know, we read these amazing people and we say, wow, they really knew how God, who God was and they understood where they were with God and all the amazing things that they did. And a lot of us want to do the amazing, but we don't want to know who God really is. But you know what? They knew. Again, they were imperfect, right? But they knew who God was. They knew him. And listen to it. Now, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But do you know what? Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 expounds on that. And Peter actually says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I love Matthew 16, 16. Because it brings it out even deeper. Because he brings together all these aspects of God and he puts it into one. God, the son of the living God. This is not only uh, distinguishes him from the dead idols of paganism, but he also points that he is the source of life. So you, because you are the living God, I'm, you know, here around Israel are all these people worshiping false gods. You are distinguished between those false gods because we have seen what you have done, Jesus. And actually a lot of uh, scholars say that I, he is pointing to the idea that he is the Jehovah, the, the Yahweh, the, the I Am of the Old Testament. Referring to the God who brought them out of Egypt through all those miracles that provided for them in the wilderness. That brought them into the promised land and conquered the enemy. That is, you are distinguished between those gods. <laughs> I forget the story, but maybe some of you guys know the king and then the other, the other kingdom. But they were at the wall. He was saying, you know, it was maybe the Persian king was saying to, to Judah, like, you know, how can your God protect you? Because we look at all the other nations that we have defeated and their God did not protect them. So surrender to us now. But do you know what? Our God is distinguished. And he is so different from the other gods. You know, today, you know, we are not in, you know, Korea or China where they worship these false gods. We're not in the Islamic world where they, they worship Allah. We're not in, you know, Thailand. We're not in the mountains of Nepal we're not in these countries where they actually have physical idols and they burn incense and they give them fruits every morning. We're not in those kind of countries. But do you know what? In America, we have our own idols, don't we? And the idea of a God is that it is something that has authority over my life and takes, you know, takes, takes a throne over the throne that God has in our life. And there are many things that take you know, importance over God. You know, and I thank you guys for being here on a Sunday and making this your priority. You know, and sometimes things happen and you have vacation and, and, and life happens and is good. But the question is, is are there idols in our life? Are there things that I do not want to sacrifice? I don't want to lay them down towards God and I, 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 they take priority over, my, over me. And God says, let these things 
sink lower and let me rise above, right? We see that in John. I must decrease and he must increase. And the interesting thing about that verse is means that as Christ is increasing in your life, the things in your personal walk that aren't like so godly, they are decreasing naturally. If there is something in your life that you would call an idol, don't try to purge it out of your life. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? You know, this is like so, it is so funny. Like I, I've tried to like reform the flesh, you know, it doesn't work. But if I give it to God and, and God comes into my life and he starts to grow and the more Christ is growing in my life, the more Christ is involved in my life, all of a sudden I find that those things that I'm trying to reform all of a sudden become dead and they're gone. But Christ is more than that. He's more than just a, more powerful than the other idols. But he is the very source of life. He is the very source of life. And one scholar says it this way. He says that he is the source of life in my present day. He is the source of spiritual life. And he is the source of eternal life. So we see that in every aspect of my life, my, my life today, my spiritual life today, and also my life in the future, God is the source of that life. So if you are without God, then where is your source? If you know God, like the demons know God, you acknowledge and you are aware of who he is, but you don't have a source. Then your source becomes what? Whatever those idols are. I don't know what the idols are in our lives, you know? I mean, I have some, of course. I'm human too. You have some in your life. There are things that you feel that are important that God says they're not important, and he'd like you to lay them down. And, you know, let God do it. Let God produce the change through love. Like, let God do it. But do you know what? If God is not your source, then what is your source? What are you grabbing from? What gets you up in the morning? What puts you to bed at night with a smile on your face? But do you know what? I mean, Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not worry for today or tomorrow because the things for today are worrisome enough. The birds, they don't have to worry about what they're going to wear. The flowers don't have to worry about what they're going to wear. I mean, God says none of these things in nature worry about it. Why do you? Because aren't you more important than those things? I mean, you are more important in the eyes of God than the birds out there. You are more important. We sit here and talk about save the planets, you know, save the whales, you know, do all these things. And yet right now there are people that are marching and saying like, you know, let's, they want abortion. They want those kind of rights. But do you know what? Like as a human being, I am created the image of God. A whale is not. <laughs> and whatever your political stance is on that, I mean, it's okay, whatever, you know. But do you know what? We are important in the eyes of God. We were created in the image of God. A tree is not. I don't care how, if you have to go and you know, use paper straws, whatever. I mean, we should be good stewards of our planet. Okay, I understand and I want to be and I recycle. But do you know what? We are created in the image of God and God wants to be our source. But we are so busy replacing God as our source and we make something else our source. And we try to, we try to you know protect our guilty conscience by being friendly to the environment, by doing this good thing and that good thing. But I have a guilty conscience. Why? Because God is not my source. Maybe your conscience is guilty because God is not your source. All those things are good. 
and we should do them. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that do not replace those things with God being your source. We have some troubles today. Right now, this very moment, we have some source. Uh, we have a source of problems. That's because Christ needs to come in and be the living God. This is amazing. Let's go back in Luke chapter 9. Because between questioning who God is, you know, verses not, verse 9, Herod is questioning it. Down in verse, um, what did I say, uh, 18, 19, 20, you know, Christ is asked the question, who do men say I'm? Sandwiched right in between this. It's very important because when, when you know, Luke does this kind of stuff, he sandwiched this right here. There is a miracle of feeding the 5,000. So let's just read that miracle. And the apostles went and they had returned, told him, verse 10, and all they had done. And they took them and went aside and privately into a desert, desert, deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. But when the multitudes knew it, um, they followed him. And, uh, and he received them and spoke with them about the kingdom of God and healing those who had need of healing. And that day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns of the country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place from here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. And there are about five thousand men. And he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. You know, there's a couple things here that is very important for us to, to understand that God is the living God. And we see that here in verse 12. It says that the, the day began to wear away. I mean, the end of the day is coming. But that adjective to wear away not only reflects that of the time of day, but it also reflects the condition of the, uh, of the crowd's soul. They themselves were also wearing away because the day was long, right? But also in verse 12, it says they were in a desolate place or desert place, also referring to the location. But this also reflects of their own soul because they were so weary, they were so deserted in their soul that they followed Christ to this place and they said to themselves that no matter what and no matter how we feel physically, we need to be here because we need a new provision. We need Christ to be my provision. And doesn't that reflect of our own souls? That we are weary? That we have a burden? I mean, how many of you guys have a burden in your life? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we drag our feet into church. I mean, that's the downside of having church in the afternoon because so much can happen before church that we can be distracted from church and drag our feet. You know, we don't want to drag our feet in here. But we do, don't we? And, you know, and it's okay, actually, because the Bible says that we come as we are. That's the message here, actually, we see. That we come as we are. How does God want us to come? We, we come as we are. God accepts you as you are. That is the good news that we have today. And I love it that Jesus says to his disciples, he said, you give them something to eat. 
Can, can you be somebody else's provision when they are weary and they are in a desert place? Can you? No, you can't. You know, if you're, you know, we'll pick on Stephen because he's right up front. You know, Stephen has had a hard day at work and he needs to be refreshed by God. And he comes to me and he seeks to be, you know, refreshed by me. What is he going to get? I mean, he's going to get, you know, Dennis White. Some dark humor, some sarcasm, and bad dad jokes. <laughs> and I'm probably going to be very insensitive. <laughs> because that's who I am. Because you know what? I myself am also human. And I have a need to be refreshed and receive a provision from God. So if he comes to me in need of refreshments, he's not going to get it from me. And how many times do we go through something and something bad happens in our life and instead of running to God, where do we run? To a friend. And we complain. Like, I know we're not supposed to talk about bad things, but I just need a vent. Anybody ever said that? Oh, I just need a vent right now. I don't want to talk bad about Stephen, but, you know, I just need a vent about him right now, okay? <laughs> I mean, we all say those things, right? But do you know what? When, I, when something happens in my life and I am weary and I feel that my soul is in a deserted place, I can't go to somebody else and be refreshed. Because here, the apostles say, what do we have? May I have five loaves and, and two fish. I could refresh a few people. But I'm very limited in my capacity. And that's what we find when we're looking to others and we're looking to false gods and the false provisions that we are never, ever going to be satisfied. And what Jesus' response is so amazing because he doesn't say, okay, well, I guess we don't have enough. So the logical conclusion here is send them away. <laughs> All right, it's fine. Just send them away. But do what Jesus is saying. Christ says that there is no need. There is no need for them to go away. There is no need for them to go away. Do you know what? When we are weary and our soul is in a deserted place, there is no need for us to leave and find refreshment someplace. There is no need for that. You know, we come to church. You know, the church is a hospital, is a place where we come and we are broken, and there should be a lot of grace here. You know what? And you know what? I, I, I try to be patient and give you grace, and if I come off short, I'm human. But that's how I, you know, that's we are greater grace. We want to give grace, and we want to be patient with people. But you know why? Because one day I'm going to fail, <laughs> and I'm going to be broken, and I'm going to be weary, and I'm going to be in a desert place in my soul. And what do I want from you? What do I want from God? I want to receive life. I want to receive grace. I want to receive mercy. I want to receive forgiveness. I don't want to receive judgments. I don't want to receive pride. I don't want to receive self-righteous. Oh, you should have been better. You should have known better. You were the pastor. You preached. You did all this stuff. You were so close to God. How dare you do that in your life? I don't want to receive that. And I probably will from somebody. It's okay, because I'll give you grace. <laughs> but do you know what? That's not what I want to receive. I want to receive a provision from the living God. I want to receive a provision from the living God. That is why 
This is so amazing that we see like, okay, like who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is this God? And we see him do these amazing, amazing things. Does the miracle define who Jesus is? No, it doesn't. Does the healing define who Jesus is? No, it doesn't. Isn't that interesting? Actually, it was these miracles. It was, it was the healing. It was the powerful words that defined who Jesus was in the eyes of Herod, in the eyes of the Pharisees. It was people seeing those things that had the wrong definition of who Jesus is. You know, today we, 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 are, we have an amazing service. Does this amazing service define who Jesus is for you in your life? I mean, what if it was a bad service? Does that define who Jesus is in your eyes? Or what if somebody next to you fails you? Because the disciples failed, didn't they? They weren't able to provide for the 5,000. So that means the person next to you is going to fail you. Because they're not meant to be your source. My wife, she's amazing. Not because she's a good cook. Not because, you know, this or that. She's, you know, she's amazing, but she can't be my source of life. Your buddies in the dorm next to you, they can't be your source of life. Your felt needs can't be your source of life because as soon as they're gone, your felt needs are gone, then you have no more life. Your roommates are gone, no life. Your spouse is gone, now you have no life. Is it difficult? Yes, it's difficult. But do you know what? God is so far apart from all these things because he is the living God. I want us to, I want to drive that home, guys, today. That God is alive. Buddha's dead. Well, not, he's not Buddha. I don't, I don't know, really remember his actual name. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Muhammad is dead. All, you know, all these guys that started all these religions, they are dead. But you know what? They can't find a tomb with a body in it. It says Jesus Christ. And we read in the Bible, and not only in the Bible, we read in historical texts, we read that Jesus died, he rose again, and his body, in the historical text, his body is missing. In the Bible, we read that he, that he rose from the dead, that he is alive today, and he is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God, and he is our Father, he is our husband, actually, and we are the bride, and we are waiting for his return. And we are sitting here and saying, God, we are your bride, and while we are waiting, I want to get to know you. And, you know, any of you guys that are married miss, you know, dating your wife? Yeah, I mean, it was so much fun, wasn't it? You went out of your way to do the stupidest things, you know? You write little notes. Like, you know, Gary, do you write notes to Nicole anymore? Oh, he does. Does he? No, no, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm not, there's no shame. I don't write, write, I don't write notes to my wife. Do you write notes to her? 
You should, yeah, we should, right? We should. Yeah, they, should, they say never stop dating your wife. It's true. But, you know, the, we used to go out of our way. Why? To, to impress our girlfriends, to impress our fiancé, to impress our wife. You know, and we're, in the first year or two of marriage, we were so careful. You know, we put the cap on the toothpaste and put it away nicely. Put the toilet seat down. Now you get, you know, married forever. You know, it's like, whatever. You know? <laughs> Pizza boxes, your chips laying on your belly. You know? Oh, sorry, honey. Belch. You know? Like, we don't care. You know what? Just as we dated our wives and we got to know them, that is the same relationship that we should have with God. Because he is our husband and he is waiting. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to ask us, hey, hey, he's going to call his bride up to heaven. You know what? What do we do now? We take our time to get to know him. To let him be our provision. Let him pay the bill for dinner. You know, I mean, not literally. Don't go to dinner tonight and say, hey, Jesus will take care of this. <laughs> the waitress gets mad. Why didn't you tip me? Oh, Jesus will take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> but allow him to provide for you. Allow him to do amazing things in your life. You know, how is God defined in my life? Just as it was with Peter. How, you know, and, and, and we'll get into this next week, I guess. This will be part two next week. But how did Peter come to the conclusion of who Jesus really was? It wasn't a miracle. It wasn't the healings. It wasn't the authority in his preaching. But here it says that flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can define who Jesus is, really, is the Holy Spirit. And if you have a problem knowing who God is, come to church. You can learn in the Bible who God is. You can study your Bible. But first, go to God. Say, God, I thought I know you. But I realize that I'm having trouble in my life in this area. I don't really know what agape love is. I don't know what mercy is or grace or forgiveness. I don't know what these things are. But God, it says in the Bible, you know these things. These are part of your character. And I can study them, and that's good. But God, I first go to you and I say, God, I want you to reveal these things to me. I mean, the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, what should he do? Ask. If we're asking God for wisdom, don't you think we can ask him to teach us what grace is? Teach what forgiveness is. Teach what it means to be, you know, what is real anger? I mean, because the Bible has definition of all these things. I can go to God and I can ask him to reveal himself to me through the Bible as I study. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. And we just ask that you'll reveal yourself to us. Lord, and we serve a living God. You are alive. Yes. And that means that in my life today and also in my spiritual life, that you are here and you are, you are my source. And maybe many of us have um, stopped leaning on God. And we're not leaning on him to be our source. We're leaning on our own abilities, 
or maybe we've just given up completely and we're laying flat on the ground on our face <laughs> and we're saying, God, I quit. But God, you are our source. So if you are a believer today and, you know, we don't, you know, do recommitments or anything like that. But if you are a believer today and you are struggling in your life with an area, I mean, just pray to God. Say, God, I want you to be my source. Maybe today you're an unbeliever and you've never asked Christ to be your savior. And you've been trying to do and do and do your whole entire life. Christ says that those things that you are doing are idols and they will not get you any closer to heaven. And it will not get you any closer to me. The only thing that you can do is ask me to be your source. If you say in your heart, Jesus Christ, I accept you as my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you have forgiven my sins. I want you to be the source of my life from this moment on. It's a simple prayer. And actually the words don't really even matter as much as the, the, what you mean in your heart. If you said those simple words, that simple prayer, you said those for the first time, you are a believer today. And please tell me if you said those. And Lord, we just ask that you will bless us, you will be with us, bless us with your presence. And as uh, Memorial Day weekend is next weekend and many people are traveling for the holiday, we ask that you will be with them and you will be the source of life while they're on that trip. That you will give them great times in, their, in the word as they read the Bible and provoke them maybe to read the Bible. If, they, if you don't, <laughs> you know that you will be with them and you will reveal yourself. And we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.